This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Matt Marquezian for Jeff Merrick. One more day, well, today. And then Jeff will be back on Monday and Tuesday. And then he pulls the Houdini and is gone for the summer. Much deserved time off for Jeffrey. I'll still be around, so don't you worry. Lance, I know you're... uh, Don't worry, Lance. I'll still be here. You'll get to see me often. It'll be great. He just shook his head. Poor Lance. We've known each other for a long time. Almost too long, actually. (laughs) Um, Jason Bukla, sports that draft analyst, joining me on the line. Jason, uh, firstly, um, are you okay if they kept the draft and award show in Nashville for the rest of eternity? Not a chance. I wouldn't survive it. Neither would <laughs> neither would the fraternity. I mean, I'm I'm watching guys. Uh, we're all uh, half the draft is uh, on this Air Canada flight in an hour here, and I'm watching these guys uh, stumble to the gate. And it's uh, you know their season's over, but uh, they look like they have to go to bed for a whole weekend right now. So no, we couldn't handle it. We couldn't handle it. it it's almost like they won the Stanley Cup, and they're still and they're still partying. <laughs> Um, now, now at Nashville as a, as a host city, I mean, I said it to Elliot, it felt like Vegas kind of took over as the destination, but it does feel like Nashville kind of put themselves back on the map this week. It really did. They did a fantastic job. I mean, the entire downtown core was, uh, engaged in the event, if you will, hotels, obviously the arena district and Broadway closing down Broadway for concerts and it's just a it's a destination for anybody that wants to come watch a hockey game and then take in you know everything else that Nashville has to offer, obviously. But all joking aside, it uh, it's just a special week. It was really uh, really really cool. Well, I'm very jealous. Uh, I had to stay in Toronto, so uh, good for you. I'm happy that you got to enjoy it. Um, now, I-, I wanted to I wanted to go back to because you've you've been in meetings where you know some players you know you, you have on your do not draft list. You have, there's all sorts of things that go on before the draft. Now, when you see Arizona step up to the podium at number six and they take Shimashev and not Mitchkov, I mean, you're taking a risk with taking a Russian player anyway. Do you think, what do you think went into the decision to not take Mitchkov there? Cause it's not like they took, you know, a Western hockey league player or they took Ryan Leonard or whatever. Like they, they went off the board and still didn't take the guy that a lot of people thought could be the second overall pick if he wasn't Russian. Yeah, no, it was fascinating. It's, uh, Elliot and I were talking about this yesterday, and, and Arizona as a whole, just as a sidebar, I think they only drafted one North American player uh, the entire time. Excuse me, I was gates charging up in my ear here. But, um, yeah, no, it, it was interesting. Simashev, for me, full disclosure, they didn't have to pick him there. That was that was what was even more fascinating for me. They, they could have traded back and, and – you know, Nashville was trying to, to move up in the draft and, you know, they would have gladly taken the six overall and they could have flipped 15 for six and still grabbed that guy at 15. So it was interesting. Uh, having said all that, obviously they valued him. Obviously he was the number one guy on their list in that slot. Um, and he's got a lot to offer. Like he really does, Matt. He's, he's a big rig, you know, six foot four and a half, I think. It's hard to know, right? Because those guys weren't measured properly in, in Russia this year, but let's just say six, four and a half. And he's an elite skater. You know, he reminds me a lot of uh, like a Jay Bolmeister type of a, a movement guy. Um, and I think he's got understated offense. I think there's more to more to come on the horizon. So uh, they were they were interesting. Arizona that that was one of my more fascinating teams. Him at six, and then Daniel Booth at twelve. 
Uh, two Russian guys, two big, big Russian guys. Uh, very interesting. There's an easy joke here about maybe the Russian players don't know what's going on in Arizona right now, and that's why they decided to take Russian players. I'm, but I, I didn't make that joke. I'm just pointing it out. I'm not. I'm just. Anyway, on Mitchkov, um, I asked Chuck Fletcher this question yesterday, and and he talked about because I said uh, flat out, could he have been the second overall pick if there weren't all these issues going on with Russia? And and his point was he could have been. But, you know, you look at this at the, the center position and Leo Carlson and Adam Fantilli, they're both centers, and that weighs heavily on, on these types of decisions. In your estimation, if there weren't the geopolitical issues, do you think that Mitchkov would have gone second or could have at least could have gone second? I think he would have been in the conversation for it. I, I agree with what Chuck is saying, though, and I've been there, where you're looking to draft guys uh, in the middle of the ice first over wingers. And uh, so I understand the uh, the sentiments there. Skill-wise, though, I think he was the second-best player available after Bedard. I really do believe that. Um, but Carlson and Fantilli, when you're rebuilding your, your roster, although Columbus, I think, is in win-now mode, they're a little bit different. Um, I see the I see the sentiment there. Jason Bukla, NHL on Sportsnet draft analyst, joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. And I think you referenced this uh, during the the first round of the draft, and you said this this first round is really one and a half rounds deep. And, and I thought that was an, an excellent way to put it. Is is that why you think there was a lack of movement throughout the draft? Only because teams were just comfortable with their lists, and they and they they didn't feel the need to trade up because it was so deep. Yeah, no, I think people love their list. I, I really do. And I think there was calls. I think teams were making calls. But for that exact reason, they, they didn't want to make a move one way or the other. Like, I was anticipating St. Louis would trade. Like, you know, they had those three first-rounders. And I thought at 25 and 29, they would make a move. But, again, you know, teams just love their list. And I have to be honest with you, Matt. Like, when I went back to my hotel that night and I started looking, because, you know, obviously teams go back to their hotel. They were readjusting their list. I readjusted my list. I'm like, wow. This is incredible. Like, I, I'd be really happy if I was drafting 20th overall and I was getting somebody on my list that was on my list at, like, 38. Like, that's how deep the draft was. So, it's just one of those years, man. It's, it's, uh, there wasn't a lot of movement, and it's just because the players uh, and the lists were, were sitting in front of them, and they're like, I don't want to move. I don't want to risk not getting my guy. Yeah, and there and there's some off you know off the board. I mean, off the board by by public consensus. But you know, for teams, it's a little bit different in how they look at each individual player. But was there a player that fell in the draft that you thought, wow, that was a that was a a, a big fall for them? And I, I thought they were going to go higher. Like I look at two guys like Gavin Brindley and Riley Height as two guys. And I mean, Brindley was an early second rounder, but Riley Height was as close to a first round pick as a lot of people had. And he fell to the last pick of the second round, which feels like a steal for Minnesota there. I think it is a steal. I mean, his offensive upside speaks for itself. You know, he's, he's interesting. Riley's one of those guys that off the rush. um, I don't want to say he's hard to play with because that, that wouldn't be fair, but he is one of those guys. that's a little bit more unpredictable off the rush where um, some of the other players, obviously Carlson went second, but um, when you play with guys who are more calculating off the rush, you can almost anticipate where they're going to go with the puck. So Carlson will take it. If he can't get to the edge and, and take it to the cage, he's going to go on the half wall, absorb contact. He's going to make a play to a late guy. Height's one of those guys that's going to make try and get through a lot of bodies, if you will, before he makes a play. And I, I'm wondering if, uh, you know, they, they, look, they love the offense, but I think they were kind of 
looking at the overall vision and, and you know, maybe a little bit concerned uh, about that. But I have to say something else. Like, Nick Lardis fell. I had him uh, potentially going in the first round. Um, Chicago drafted Bedard, obviously, uh, Moore, uh, Oliver Moore from the U.S. National Team Development Program, who's a burner. And then they drafted Lardis, who's an elite skater. That's another guy that Chicago did really well there. And so did uh, so did St. Louis. Otto Stenberg's a guy I had in my top ten. He fell to the late 20s. Uh, he's a pit bull. Real good player. Yeah, well, that was my that was going to be my next question. Um, when you look at this draft, I know, and again, you t- you commented on St. Louis on the coverage uh, on Wednesday night that you thought that they had an absolutely excellent first round. I'm with you. I didn't think that they were going to make all three picks, but there now we now we look and, and say, okay, they've they've got three really good players. Was that the team for you that had the best draft, or or was there another team that stood out? Because I mean, it's easy to have a uh, a good draft when you're looking back on it when you have three first round picks. They don't always pan out. We understand that, but was that the team? for you that kind of stood out? I'm comfortable saying all three of those guys are going to be NHL players. Like for sure. I would bet my house on it. Like that's how good that first round was for St. Louis. They, they were really, really good. The other team, uh, lucky for them just on a singular player, um, like Colby Barlow fell to the Winnipeg Jets. That was incredible to me. Like he is, he's a heck of a player and I, <laughs> he could be a future captain in Winnipeg. He's exactly the type of player they needed, not only, uh, for talent, but also for community and leadership. So that was another team. Yeah, and and the and the the Kevin Shovel Day off comment um, was pretty good as well. After with Elliot Friedman, so that it all it all all encompassing, it was pretty good for Winnipeg. There was there was there a favorite pick or a favorite moment in this draft for you? Because you know it's one thing, and you've been a part of a couple of drafts on the broadcast, but it's one thing to be in the moment on the draft floor, but it's another entirely to be a spectator. Um, was there something that kind of stood out to you, whether it be a pick or a moment? A couple of different things. I thought that uh, so Noah Dower Nelson from Sweden, he's a really nice story. Uh, he lost his mom to uh, the cancer. And, you know, he was a really uh, heartwarming interview at the Combine. Um, and when I got when I saw him get selected, that was just like a feel-good moment to me because the kid has worked so hard. And, you know, all the young people today, Matt, have so many distractions, social media, they're on their phones, you know, all kinds of things going on. And imagine when you're, you're, you're building towards your draft year and you're dealing with some of this stuff. He's, he's seeking help off the ice. He talked about it pretty openly, and that was a feel-good moment for me. I have to say that the very last pick of the draft, it was traded, and then Ty Petal from uh, the Quebec League was selected, and the, the, like they, they stuck it out till the end. You could feel the stress bleeding off the family, and he's a good player. Like He's got a chance to be a player, an NHL player. That was really cool right till the end. We, the NHL is unique, right? Like it really is unique uh, in, in the way we do the draft, and, and that was a really, really cool moment for me as well. The draft is is always fun, and and you look at at the guys that were taken, and it's fun. Like Jason, I, I know it's going to be weird for me to say this, but I feel with everything that was going on, you know, all the ancillary noise about moving picks and and you know, uh, guys could be getting traded, and there's so many players available. I felt like we forgot pretty quickly that this was the Connor Bedard draft. Like we're talking about a generational player here that that got drafted, and it's almost after Bedard was taken. I guess because we knew for so long that he was going to be the first overall pick, that it was like, oh yeah, and that Connor Bedard guy went number one because we were just expecting so much else to happen. Yeah, no, that's interesting that you say that, and 
I mean, the build-up, obviously, to the uh, the draft really kind of circled around him and the big name. But it was nice to share the uh, share the wealth amongst the rest of the group. Uh, but having said that, the economics of the game, I, I made this statement uh, kind of outside the lines, if you will, a couple of times this week. The economics of the game is impacted when guys like Connor Bedard um, are selected and they come into the league, right? Like, it's good for the game. And, I, you know, not every draft class is made the same. Not every first overall is the same. And um, and this is a guy that's uh, he's going to drive ticket sales and beyond beyond just you know being a fantastic player. So um, this whole draft class actually, Matt, I, you know that's that's it's going to be fascinating in a salary cap world. <laughs> you know it's a ticket uh, generated business. But, like most teams rely just on you know even walk up crowds. This group, as they go through, I'm going to be interested to see and monitor because there's uh, such a, uh, an elite class of player. They're going to bring people to the rink, and it's good for the economics of the game. Yeah, it really is. Um, just one more before I let you go. Uh, just on Ryan Leonard, like he's he's one of the more intriguing players in the draft because you know he he has he's a little bit nasty. He's a very very gifted offensive player. He goes to Washington, where I think he's. I mean, he gets to watch Tom Wilson a little bit, so that's fun. Um, could you could you see Ryan Leonard end up being? I mean, outside of Bedard, end up being one of the more unique players that we've seen from this draft. He was, uh, I had him fifth overall on my list um, for him, even just to drop uh, to eight. Uh, you know, I was watching my friend Steve Bowman from Washington practically run up to the stage. You know, they were so excited. And um, he's, a, he's, he's, a, he's a little bit of a throwback with elite pace and offensive skills. So um, he skates better than Tuchuk out of the box. I'm not saying he's going to be a 100-point guy in the league, but what I'm saying is that that grit, that determination, that three-zone extra effort, like double down on your effort to do whatever's necessary to to get a team win at the hardest time of year, call it April, call it May, Um, this is the kind of guy you build around. He is going to be a name to watch going forward. He's going to be hard to play against, and he's going to be fun to watch. And every team should be looking for guys like that because they are difference makers in a league where, frankly, there aren't very very many of them. So, uh, Jason, uh, thank you so much for taking some time for me today. Great job on the on the coverage this week. Um, glad you enjoyed Nashville. I know you can't wait to come home and uh, a safe flight for you. I appreciate it, pal. Thanks. If I don't get a chance to talk to you, have a uh, have a great summer. You too. There he goes, Jason Bukula, NHL on Sportsnet draft analyst as he uh, as he recovers from the week in Nashville I knew I knew it was a good time I knew I wanted to get in Jeff's luggage missed the boat on that one and I don't th- and I talked to him today earlier and I know we're gonna have him on shortly I don't think he brought me any hot chicken back it's very disappointing but the week was good and that's why I wanted to bring up Nashville being on the on the map again, because I do feel like everybody's like, oh, we're going to do a road trip and we're going to go watch a hockey game. Well, we got to go to Vegas. Yeah, Vegas is great. It's one of my favorite places in the world. It's adult Disneyland, for God's sake. But people forget about Nashville. I've never been. So I'm only talking through other people's experiences. But Nashville is incredible. Just look at the scenes this week. I know Jason said that it would be really tough for them to do it every year because people were overserved. It sounds like a lot of the time and specifically at Tootsie's, but it sounds like it was a great time. I'm very curious to see how, and, and Ellie talked about the timing too, the awards, then the draft, 
and then free agency all in a week. I know, I know for news purposes, you want to kind of spread those things out, but it really worked well this year. I don't know if that's going to be a thing going forward, but we'll certainly find out. Um, just to recap some of the news that we've had today. So today is buyout day, or at least the last day for buyouts until later on in the summer when I'm not getting into that because there is a second buyout window, but we don't need to go there. Matt Duchesne is the big one. Um, talked earlier about it this week about maybe them moving Matt Duchesne and that didn't seem like a possibility, but neither did a buyout. Uh, but Matt Duchesne will be bought out. Mike Riley from the Bruins will be bought out. Kyler Yamamoto will be bought out and Blake Wheeler will be bought out. They join the list of Josh Bailey and um, Oliver Ekman Larson as the other one. So a lot going on. Uh, another bit of news that we didn't get to, although we kind of touched on it briefly with Elliot, Corey Perry signs a one-year deal with the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, I feel like they're going to grab every veteran possible and just pay them $4 million. If you're near the end of your career, Chicago is the place for you to go make some money so that they can get to the cap floor. They're also doing a good job of surrounding Connor Bedard with veteran players that have been in the league, that know what it's like, that are former first-round picks, all of that. They brought in Taylor Hall, they brought in Nick Foligno, and now they bring in Corey Perry. Lots of experience there, and I don't think that Chicago is done in that respect. If you're a guy at the end of your career and maybe you're not going to chase a ring, playing with Connor Bedard and to say that you played with Connor Bedard, probably pretty cool. Just my guess. All right, that's going to do it for the first hour of this program. Uh, in the second hour, we're going to talk to George Richards from Florida Hockey. Now, what do the defending Eastern Conference champions do this offseason? Are they going to go big game hunting? Is Anthony Duclair on the block? Maybe they're interested in Noah Hannafin. All those things. Eric Francis will also join us to talk about the Flames and what's next for them. And joining me next, the regular host of this program. His name is on the marquee. And he broke some big news last night on the PHF. Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show, starring Jeff Merrick, headlined by Jeff Merrick, and curated by Jeff Merrick, will join me when we come back. Matt Marchese in for Jeff on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet Now and Sportsnet 360. Breaking down the biggest stories in Toronto sports. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Horfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Hour two of the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese in for Jeff, who will be back on Monday. But fear no further. He, d- he couldn't even wait until Monday to come on back on his own program. Here he is, host of the Jeff Merrick Show, starring Jeff Merrick, headlined by Jeff Merrick, and curated by Jeff Merrick. Here's Jeff Merrick. How are you this morning, Jeffrey? Trademark Jeff Merrick. That's How are you doing, it. Maddie? I'm good, buddy. You should see the shirt I'm wearing on your show today. Oh, boy. Oh, no. What do you wear? Oh, it's a shirt with all sorts of, all sorts of citrus fruits on it. Oh, I it's, like that. It's wild. I approve of that. I approve of that. It's, it's a, wild. There's an old saying, Maddie. Every Friday, have two Saturdays. Let's go. That's a, you know what I like. You must you read too many books, Jeff. Um, okay, so first I have to ask you, how is Nashville? Because I asked Jason Bukla if they could do that in Nashville every year. He says there's no chance because the people involved would not be able to handle it. There's too many. Basically, too many people were overserved this week. Uh, yeah. Um, so 
See, Nashville, I, I loved I, That was my first time in Nashville. Loved it. Great people, all of it. But I'm not really much of a go-out-and-party kind of guy. So a lot of that was, was lost on me. I mean, I, I walked up and down the strip a couple of times, and, like, the music is fantastic. The people are tremendous. Um, all I heard were a bunch of wild stories about the, uh, about the nightlife, um, you know, including, you know, some teams who may or may not have been kicked out of certain establishments at various parts over the week. Um, but it's great. Like, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what's really great is, and this has been true from day one of the organization, the National Predators are like a gold standard of, um, you know, being easy to work with, um, being, you know, super friendly and accommodating and going out of their way. Like, it's a, I know they don't get a lot of headlines because it's not exactly the, the biggest market in the world, but as, as far as, you know, hospitality goes and treating people right, they've got to be right up there around the top of the list. And if you look at, you know, the nature of, you know, what the crowds are like and what the games are like, like I've, I've always made the point that every single hockey fan, Maddie, there's like a few experiences you have to have. Like you have to have, you know, Montreal, Saturday night, 701 Eastern, you know, they, they drop the lights, they hit the cold play, and you start to get the goosebumps and the ghosts of the forum and all that, that kind of, like every hockey fan needs to have that experience. And there are a lot of other markets where you have to have those experiences. And Nashville's become one of those places. Like whenever you, I mean, how many, how many conversations have you had now, Maddie, where the conversation turns, okay, how many different ranks have you been to and how many games have you been to? And Nashville has now become a destination place that all hockey fans need to go. The fan experience, I mean, we make a lot about Vegas and rightfully so, but the fan experience in Nashville is one to behold, not just in the rink, but outside the rink as well. Yeah, it's on my bucket list, that's for sure. So stick tabs to Nashville for uh, for what seemed like a, a wonderful week. Okay, uh, you, broke, uh, you broke some big news last night. Um, the PHF was purchased by Billie Jean King Enterprises and the Mark Walter Group, who are involved with the yeah. PWHPA, as we know. Um, all player yeah. all player contracts for the PHF have been voided. Uh, so as you put it, there's this is not a merger in the traditional sense of a merger, but I guess no. I guess one of the... Kind of lay out kind of where we are right now with everything. Okay, so the Mark Walter Group and Billie Jean King Enterprises, that is the investment group that's working, as you put it, with the PWHPA, which is the name of the Players Union, um, to put together a new league. And now that they've acquired the PHF or certain assets from the PHF, the one league dream will be a reality as soon as next January. I think the, the, the plan is training camps in November, and then they, they drop the first puck sometime in January. Um, but as it stands right now, you know, it was told that there were, there were dueling town hall calls. You know, I got off my flight in Nashville yesterday. I got a text right away saying, get your ear to the ground on this story. Something's happening right now. So you start making your calls and sending your texts and all that. And, you know, at 8 o'clock Eastern yesterday, uh, Stan Kasten talked to the members of the PWHPA. Uh, Regan Carey, the commissioner of the, uh, the PHF. Um, talked to all of her athletes as well and told them that the, uh, the Mark Walter and, and Billy Jean King groups had purchased uh, the PHF, uh, that that league was dissolving, and that all the contracts had been voided. Now, in all the PHF contracts, there's what's called an at-will clause, uh, which means essentially the contracts can be voided at will, and, and they have been. 
And so now that is another group of free agents. The PWHPA, you know, has been working, you know, for the, for the last while on a new CBA. Um, they're voting on it on Sunday. Uh, Susan Davis, I believe, is the lead attorney working on this one with, uh, with the PWHPA. She's a, she'll probably be an important name here through all of this. Um, that'll get ratified on Sunday. It is only members of the PWHPA that vote on that. Um, PHF members at this point are not part of that union. Um, I mean, as far as next steps go, I mean, the CBA gets ratified. Um, I think we'll start to see more information start to come out. I was told that nothing's going to happen until after July 4th. So maybe something on the 6th or the 7th, we'll start to get some type of idea of what this thing is going to look like and who is going to be involved. Um, but there will be members of the uh, the now former PHF who play with members of the PWHPA. Um, like, look, like the, the low-end players on the PWHPA aren't as good as the high-end players on the PHF. So look for some PHF, you know, uh, players to, to make their way in, into this new league as well. Um, the upswing in all of it is, you know, there's going to be a lot of women that lose their jobs because we're going from a two-league situation to a one-league situation. Um, but I'll tell you, one of, I think one of the questions that a lot of people do have here now, Maddie, revolves around the National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. Now, the NHL has always said that they're not going to pick sides. They're not going to choose one or the other. Uh, there have been times where, you know, uh, former commissioner Tyler Tuminia and Gina Heffer, the head of the PWHPA, have gotten together to try to find some common ground. Uh, there have been times where meetings and arrangements have been brokered by Kim Davis at the NHL to try to bring the two sides together. Um, those conversations uh, and plans obviously went nowhere, and both sides went their, their separate ways. Um, but it wasn't until recently, and you know we'll have to find out more when we talk to uh, Stan Kasten, at the, at the Mark Walter group here, exactly how this, this went down. Um, but now the, the one league dream that the PWHPA players, and that is, you know, Marie Philippe Poulin, uh, all those, you know, high end, you know, future hall of famers that we see on the national teams, you know, this is, this is why they, they never went over. They've, they've held fast to their dreams. They've put their quote unquote careers on hold uh, for this to happen. And they finally got what they want. You know, one person that I talked to yesterday, she said when the plan was presented to her and, you know, she'd been one of the people that have been fighting for this for a long time, she broke down crying because this is what they've wanted for the longest time. So um, we're waiting for next steps here. And I guess the next big one would be ratification of the, the Professional Women's Hockey League, and that's going to be the name of the league. Uh, their CBA, the PWHPA, will be the name of the union uh, that represents the players. Next step is ratification of the CBA, and then we'll find out what more of this thing is going to look like uh how many teams are involved maddie i believe there are going to be six it's going to be a six league team to start three teams in the united states and three teams in canada so that's that is the very latest as it uh, as it relates to this ongoing story i think there's always more information coming out as well so uh it's not as if you know the story's anywhere close to being done okay so here here's my biggest question in all of this is why did the phf decide to do this because it really felt like they were the ones that were making the inroads they had they got their their 20 million dollar investment their salary cap kept going up they had these big contracts for players like it it really felt like they were making inroads into to making a women's league very viable so what changed in all of this 
Yeah, it's a it's a great question. Um, and you know, there's a rumor out there, Maddie, that the PHF was bankrupt, and I've heard that from a couple of different places. Now that has been flat out denied to me, um, and as part of my part of my calls last night. Um, I wonder if the PHF looked at this and said, you know, this uh, PWHPA or, 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 you know, Professional Women's Hockey League is coming. Uh, plans are already there. You know, the investment from the Mark Walter and Billie Jean King groups, you know, I honestly, Maddie, I believe there's somewhere in the neighborhood of between 50 at the low, low end to maybe 250 million at the high end. So, I mean, this is going to be a well-capitalized start here for this league, you know, and I, I just can't help but wondering if, you know, the, the PHF looked at this and said, this thing is coming anyway. It's going to be bigger than us. Um, this might be our, our best chance to sort of capitalize on this and, you know, take our losses and, and get out at this point. That That's only my feeling on it. No one's told me that. Uh, we haven't heard anyone from the, the PHF explain exactly why, uh, they've agreed to get bought out, and like you mentioned, like this is not this is not any kind of merger. This is a this is a buyout. The uh, the one side has bought out the other. Like I think the I think the Mark Walter Group's going to release a statement at some point here uh, about the entire situation. And as it was told to me, they'll give the the PHF a very soft landing on this one. Uh, but make no mistake about it, this is this is one fish. One big fish eats one smaller fish in this situation. But as to why they did it, I wonder if it's just a matter of they looked at the landscape and said, I don't know if we can still be viable with this other league, with the elite, elite level athletes as well funded as they're going to be. We can't compete with them or even think about competing with them any longer. Well, there's also the the part of this that is forward thinking on the groups that bought the PHF, because if there is one league and we've heard, you know, you mentioned it, we've heard about the NHL talking about, if there is one league, then we will look at at this as, you know, an investment or whatever. Could they be looking at it and saying, okay, we're going to make an initial investment. We're going we're gonna to do all this stuff, bring all these, these players together, and we're going to have one league with the thought that there's going to be additional cash flow coming in, maybe from the NHL, maybe some NHL teams invest, like much like the NBA has with the WNBA, where some of the owners actually own teams in the league, and it's very much run by the NBA. Could we see something along those lines as well as part of this forward thinking with, with the Billie Jean King group and the Mark Walter group? Too early to say. Um, I think there's a lot of people in that group that would, uh, would like to see that. And, and don't forget something here too. And listen, when you produce uh, primetime sports with Bob McCowan, I mean, you, you know who Stan casted. I sure do. Right? Stan, Stan would be on all the time uh, with, with Bob. And, and he's heavily, you know, he's, he's, he's a big player in all of this. Like he was the one yesterday who, who addressed the athletes on the side of the PWHPA. And as someone told me yesterday, point blank, Jeff, this is Stan Kasten's show now. And Stan Kasten has, you know, a background with the NHL through the Atlanta Thrashers, uh, obviously now with the, with the stake with the Dodgers, as does Mark Walter. Um, I, it sounds like if there's going to be any type of deal or arrangement with the NHL, it's probably going to be one that's put together with Stan Kasten as the lead from that side. But I, I think it's, 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 way too, it's way premature at this point to even speculate on what the nature of the involvement would be. Now, would they just leave it to, to club teams? Uh, we've seen, you know, uh, whether it's Chicago or New York or St. Louis or Pittsburgh or Washington or Toronto or Montreal or Ottawa. We've seen a lot of NHL teams partner 
um, with the PWHPA before on events? Uh, do they let it happen at that club level, or do they do something a little bit more profound and do it at the NHL level? I, I think right now it's, it's too premature even to speculate. We kind of wonder about these things, but there's there's nothing concrete right now. But what what uh, Regan Carey, who's the commissioner of the PHF, said to her athletes as sort of way of expl- explaining their next steps. Um, from the PWHPA's point of view, it's ratification of the CBA. What Regan Carey told her athletes is, now the next step is we need to get everybody in a room and figure out how this is all going to work because it's going to be a draft, right? Make no mistake about it, there's going to be a draft. There's also been a CBA, I think it's like 62, someone told me this afternoon it's about 62 or 65 pages long um, that a lot of people, whether it's you know, agents or, or players or, or other reps that are, that are going through right now before ratification on Sunday, we still don't know what this thing is going to look like speculation is that it will be ratified. I don't know if it's going to be unanimous, but the way it was described to me, it'll be like probably, you know, minimum 95% of everyone gives this thing the, uh, the, uh, the thumbs up and, and the seal of approval. Um, but as, as far as understanding or, or knowing where this thing is, is going next and what the, na- the nature of any type of involvement from the NHL might be, I, I don't even want to speculate because I don't know. And I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, uh, mislead anybody right now because there's a lot of, you know, smoke and mirrors that is out there right now. Like we're getting a whole lot of, you know, uh, manager, general managers from the PHF club teams, you know, uh, sending out tweets of, you know, support and we're here to work and all that. Like, we don't know if any of these people are going to have jobs. Yeah. Like, I, I wonder if maybe at the end of it, maybe Regan Carey is the only one who's still employed out of that entire group. We, we still don't know. Again, it's still, you know, too, too fresh. It's not even 20, the story's not even 24 hours old yet. The two sides haven't officially gotten together. There's been no, you know, meeting of the minds in a room together to sort out how this is going to go. And there is this ratification process taking this, taking place this week over the CBA. So as much as we're moving towards getting more, getting more questions answered, Maddie, there's just still a whole lot of, I don't know involved in this one. So it's a, you know, but this is, you know, again, a lot of it's going to be Stan Caston. A lot of it's going to be Jana Hefford as well. Uh, but we still have a lot of questions still left to answer. And we will we'll keep an eye on it and watch with, with great interest. Uh, Jeffy, you got things to do. Um, enjoy tomorrow. Hopefully you're very busy because that's always fun on free agency day. And uh, you will be back in kind of this chair, but in your own house on Monday. So we will. Uh, everybody will get <laughs> to hear you and see you on Monday. Uh, have a great weekend, buddy. Thanks. Yeah, a couple more shows, man. Thanks, uh, thanks, Matty. Here, you're doing a great job. Keep up the good work, pal. I'll try and keep the chair warm. Uh, there he goes, Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show, starring Jeff Merrick, headlined by Jeff Merrick, curated by Jeff Merrick, trademarked by Jeff Merrick. That's a lot. Th- th- speaking of a lot, that is a lot with the PHF. Like, based on what we know, um, the players were absolutely blindsided here. And the front office people, like nobody knew that this was coming. And then this bombshell gets dropped. And while it does look like something good on the surface, because it is one league and maybe you get the investment from the NHL or some sort of partnership or whatever that may look like, we still don't know, as Jeff said. But there's a lot of people that are going to be out of a job here. Like the, the PHF had seven teams the PWHPA basically employed enough for four teams. By my count, if my math is correct, that's like 80 people out of 80 players out of a job. 
plus the front office staff that are involved with those teams, yes, it looks great on the surface. Yes, there's room for growth. Yes, there's so many good things that could happen. But from the outset, boy, that's tough. You don't wish that upon anybody. And, I, and I've, I've, we've done a lot on this show and advocated for the growth of women's hockey. And while, again, it does look positive, we do have to dig a little bit deeper and see what this, this does look like from a big picture standpoint. So the macro is very good. The micro in this sense, right off the hop, unfortunately, some people are going to be out of work. So we'll see what happens there. Jeff mentioned Stan Kasten, who um, is very, very much the leader of all of this. And and Stan has been uh, a guest on Sportsnet 590, the fan here in Toronto, for eons. So maybe, maybe, just maybe, we might be making a, a little message up for Stan Kasten to jump on next week. Keep your eyes open for that one. Um, we're going to focus on the uh, the Calgary Flames here. Uh, Craig Conroy, his maiden voyage as the GM of the Calgary Flames. Obviously, he's been involved with the team for a long time, but this is uh, this is his first go around as the the captain of this ship, and he's already made his first deal. and And what does that mean from now for now? And and where are things going? Eric Francis from Sportsnet joining me now. Eric, how are you today, buddy? I'm good, my man. How are you, Matt? I'm great. I'm wonderful. It's Friday. Uh, there were buyouts, which means there was news. There's free agency tomorrow. I think GMs are going to lose their minds, so we're going to get trades. It's going to be awesome. Um, but Craig Conroy made his first deal earlier this week. It was Tyler Toffoli to New Jersey for Yegor Sharangovich and a third-round pick. He wanted a, a player, a young player, and a, a pick in return. He got what he was looking for. Um, just, just quickly, what was your first impression of the deal and, and how he uh, and how he got that business done? You know, I, I think that no matter what he was going to do with with the Foley, for example, I mean, he's got so many other guys that are potentially being traded anytime soon. But the Foley deal, in all these deals, it, it's almost like Craig Conroy set up to fail. I mean, because everybody's expecting such lofty returns, and because the Flames are giving up significant players that were, you know, primary players for the Calgary Flames roster. So, I feel like no matter what he did. People were going to come down on it, and that's exactly what happened. The, the, the sentiment was not positive at first. But I think over the course of the weekend, uh, when people saw just how hard it is to move to acquire picks, how dear they are to every team now, and how hard it is to move players around the National Hockey League with a flat cap and rising salaries, I, I think people are now starting to realize over the last several days um, that, that Sharon Govich uh, and a third-rounder was a pretty good return for Tyler Toffoli, who's 31. And, you know, and, you know, and, and, and signing him long-term wasn't probably a good idea anyway. So over time, people are starting to like it a whole lot more. And I think that's the, the overwhelming sentiment. I, I thought that that was probably the right return for Tafoy. Like it, it's also, you know, the other thing that people have to understand too, in all of this, it's one thing to trade a player with term on like a, a, if Tyler Toffoli has two years left on his deal. Well, we saw what the return was for Tyler Toffoli with a couple of years left on his deal. It was pretty significant, but you know, Craig Conroy has been kind of painted into a corner here because the guys that he is probably having to move all have one year left on their deal. So unless there's a sign and trade and there's an extension attached to it, the returns aren't going to be significant. And and that's where I really feel for Craig Conroy and all of this, because he has really been painted into a corner here. It's true. And there are seven guys, you know, very well publicized here in Calgary, seven guys who are going into the final year of their contract. 
Toffoli is one of them. He only had one year left on his deal, too. So same scenario. And, and to your point, it's just real hard uh, for teams, unless they know that they're going to keep the guy long term, they just see him as a rental. Uh, however, in the case of a Toffoli, he came off his career best season. Uh, you know, Team C value there. And a guy making under five million bucks, I believe it is, and, and and having just one year left on his deal. Either way, yes, Craig Conroy's been painted into a, a horrific corner here, and uh, and 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 like I said, I think the expectations are so high. People are unsure if this guy can do the job because he's a rookie GM. Uh, the spotlight is shining extremely brightly on him, and I actually think he uh, emerged from Nashville uh, looking quite good with the draft picks he made but also with that trade he made with Toffoli. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, okay, so you and I spoke a few weeks ago about Elias Lindholm and, and what was going to happen with him. And, I mean, you and I were both kind of on the same page that, well, he, he likely was not returning to Calgary. And now there, it's I feel like it's kind of gone back and forth. I'm still leaning to he's not staying in Calgary. Um, where do you think things stand with he and the Flames? And do you think that there's, I don't want to say there's an ultimatum, but there's kind of a, a timeline on him to make a decision because, you know, with free agency opening tomorrow, there is a chance to extend him. But if not, there's also a chance to sign and trade, which makes him a lot more of a valuable asset. I mean, he's a great asset right now at, at the cap number he's making, but he's, he's a very nice asset if you can have him locked in long-term as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think this guy's one of the best two-way centers in the National Hockey League. And this organization spent 30 years trying to find a first-line center. He's the first guy that fits that bill. And now it looks like, uh, you know, I still be- I'm with you. I still believe that in the end he'll walk uh, for the same reasons that Hannafin wants to walk, uh, Kachuk uh, wanted to walk, and, and Johnny Gaudreau. It's just, you know, a chance to pick your destination. You know, you don't only get that chance once or twice in your NHL career if you're lucky. And uh, these guys see how well it's turned out for Matthew Kachuk, and that's only going to add to the uh, the desire for guys to see greener pastures. But the Flames are giving it the old college try. They're making it very attractive for this guy to stay and making it very clear that he's probably their number one player moving forward if he signs and stays in Calgary. But, um, you know, I, I think the important thing to note is that it's not like uh, tomorrow was a deadline of any sort. You know, like uh, I look at Austin Matthews and, you know, starting tomorrow, if they don't sign him, he enters the final year with, with a no-trade clause. That, that's a little different uh, than this, where the Flames feel like, look, it, even if it's not going to work out with Elias Lindholm, kind of like Hannafin, um, you know, we're not pushing the panic button on anything. If we have to go into the season with these guys, we will. I think historically we've seen in the National Hockey League that you don't get quite as much value at the trade deadline, for example, than you would in the summer because the number of you know, potential suitors is smaller at the trade deadline. Uh, but if, if they're not getting anywhere near what they're looking for in a trade, I think the Calgary Flames have made it very clear they're okay to open the season with these guys in their lineup. And who knows? Maybe the team gets off to a great start and these guys start to say, hey, you know what? Maybe there is a brighter future in Calgary than we thought. And maybe they would re-entertain the possibility of signing in Calgary. So nothing urgent, you know, happening with Calgary, especially since all the offers have been really low ball. Yeah, the other the other guy on that list is is Noah Hannafin, and uh, I mean he's seemingly made it pretty clear that he does not want to return to Calgary, or at least he won't sign an extension there. Um, I mean, you could, I don't even think there's much of an argument here, but outside of Elias Lindholm, that's the guy that's going to fetch you the the best package. Um, do you think? I mean, again, there's not a rush like you mentioned, but is that the guy you think that is is kind of next to go here? 
Oh, yeah. I, I think he'll be the first to go, to be honest. I think eventually they will trade him before the season starts. Um, yeah. and, and I think there's an important distinction between, and, and you did a good job just saying that, you know, not that he doesn't want to come back to Calgary, but he's not looking to sign an extension. There's a big difference, right? Because what Toffoli just did to the Calgary Flames was he said, I want to be traded right now. And that's different than uh, I'm willing to play out my final year, but then I'm going somewhere else. So, yeah, Hannafin will be traded. The offers have been low so far. A lot of teams don't have the sort of cap space or room for a guy like Hannafin, um, and the offers just aren't what the Calgary Flames are looking for. So I think, generally speaking, for a top-four defenseman, a young, uh, already established uh, top-four defenseman like Hannafin, I I would assume that, that at the very least, they're looking for a first-rounder and a pair of seconds. There's been an industry standard in that regard with Dougie Hamilton's trade, with the acquisition of Travis Hamannick here in Calgary years ago, and they're not getting anywhere near that so far. And maybe the market's changed for good, and that's that's a pipe dream, but that's what they're looking for at the the minimum. Well, as they should, because there there is a premium for defensemen. I mean, you... You, we saw what the Vegas Golden Knights just did, and they, they built their team. Yes, they have star forwards. There's no question about that. But when you look at that defense, they're all very good, and they all play a certain role. And, you it, it, you know, you can't win with just four defensemen in the NHL anymore. It doesn't work that way. So the price should be high for a guy like Hannafin. Uh, speaking of, of defense here, Eric, Zadorov and Tanev are both guys also in that category of they have one year left on their deals. Now, could you see a situation where they decide, you know what, we're trading away some of our veteran players. You know, we got to keep a couple around. Like, we need some guys to play. You know, you have to have some sort of veteran leadership. So do you see a situation where they look and go, okay, we're going to we're gonna keep these two veteran guys and then we'll, you know, see what happens at the trade deadline? Or could you see a situation where it's like, okay, we've traded to Foley and we've traded Hannafin and we've traded Lindholm. Okay, you know what, we're just going to go kind of rebrand here and we're going to trade Zadorov and trade Tanev and see what we can get for them. And then we're just going to go with a younger roster and kind of build from there. Which of those scenarios do you think is more likely? Oh, the first one, you know, uh, this, this is an ownership group has made it clear that it's a win now mentality. And that continues. They still believe that this team is capable and should be competing amongst the big boys this year. I'm not saying that's reality. I'm saying that that's what the way those are the kind of marching orders that Craig Connor has been given. So a complete rebuild is something that actually in this marketplace, you're hearing a lot more people actually clamoring for it and calling for it. But I think what they're going to do is a, is kind of a hybrid. Uh, we'll call it a retool where, you know, they're going to leave roster spots open this year for youngsters to crack this lineup regardless. I mean, they have to, they don't have any cap space uh, to do anything else other than that. So they're going to be doing, I would think you're going to want to keep a guy like a Chris Tanner. He's the ultimate professional and the guy who can teach everyone you know, teach all these youngsters how to act and, and how to play the game correctly. Uh, Zadorov's a guy who really does want to stay here long-term. I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up locking him up at some point and him staying. So I don't see a full-on, complete teardown, even though that's what a lot of people in Calgary are now clamoring for. Eric Francis from Sportsnet joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. The goaltending situation is one that is you know, something we should be keeping an eye on. We know how good Dustin Wolf has been uh, back-to-back goalie of the year winner in the AHL. And I mean, there's not really anything for him to prove there. And everyone points to Dan Vladar being the odd man out, but is there any chance that 
you know, Jacob Markstrom looks at this situation, looks and says, okay, we're going to be a little bit younger. Maybe we're not as good. They're moving out all these guys. Is there any way that some of these deals that they could potentially make could make Jacob Markstrom go, you know what? You know, I'm, I'm good with, with not being here and you can, you know, I'll, I'll accept a trade to, you know, these destinations and off we go. I know we keep focusing on Dan Vladar being the odd man out, but is there any chance that the odd man out could be Jacob Markstrom if he decides, you know what, I just don't want to be a part of what's going on here? You know, I, I don't see it. I, I don't see it. First of all, this team two years ago won won the division, and and you know, yeah, obviously last year they underachieved, and and there's there's since they've lost Kachuk, and who knows how many people they're going to lose moving forward. You know, I think all these players want to see what happens over the next couple of weeks and couple of months leading into the season. I guess anything's possible, and so other people could say, I don't want to be a part of a team that's retooling like this, but. The other part of this is that Jacob Markstrom doesn't exactly have a high value on the trade market. He was one of the worst starting goalies in the National Hockey League last year. Now, yes, two years ago, he finished second in the Vesna. He was the second-best goalie on the planet. But this year, he was horrific. So trading him now does not make a lot of sense for the Flames because the value won't be there. And I just don't know the pension for many teams around the league is to pay $6 million for a guy who's coming off you know, one of the worst seasons in the NHL last year. I, I just... I, those there's all those forces working against any chance that Markstrom would be moved out of here. And uh, I think it's a delightful problem for the flames to have that they've got three talented goalies and, and only two spots for them. But again, there's no rush in moving Dustin Wolf up. Maybe at the trade deadline, you trade Dan Vladar. Maybe at the trade deadline, you do consider moving Markstrom if he's playing well again. But at this point in time, there's no need to push the panic button on any of the goaltending positions. Right now, you've got three good assets. I think they're content going into the season with all three. Um, just because I like to stir the pot a little bit, um, what do you yeah. think? <laughs> and I know you do too, actually. Um, what <laughs> What do you think? What do you think the market is for Dan Vladar? Because he's on a really friendly number at 2.2 million for the next two seasons. He showed very well this year, and he's, he's really improved during his time in the NHL. Um, do you think that there would be, especially because of the cap number, do you think there would be a, a big market for his services? Like, did he show you enough last year? Yeah, yeah, and the year before he showed enough. I, I, I do think there'd be a big market for a guy with that cap hit, with that size. He's six foot six. He's a consummate pro. His teammates absolutely love him, which is a crucial part of being a backup goalie in the National Hockey League. You know, I said it. You know, before Tree Living even got named the, the Leafs GM, I wouldn't be surprised if. If Tree Living wants to, you know, uh, regroup with Dan Vladar, and I, I almost guarantee he'll make a phone call to Craig Conroy and say, "Hey, if you are interested in parting with one of your goaltenders, we'd be certainly very interested in Dan Vladar because the Leafs need a goalie or two, and uh, and he would be a, an incredible part of a one A one B. I'm not sure you want to, you know, take that chance and make him the starter anywhere anytime soon, uh, but I, I don't think there's any question you could count on him for thirty maybe even 40 starts if he wanted to split time with someone. Yeah, I think I think the value is high on a Dan Vladar, and if that's the route the Flames decide to go, whenever it is, whether it's in the summer or in the fall or if it's at the trade deadline, I think that he'll get back a pretty good return given the, you know all those things I just said. Uh, since we last spoke, Ryan Huska was named the new head coach, and you know it sounds like a lot of people very happy for this hire and, and happy specifically for for Ryan Huska. What what makes him such a good fit for the group? Is it just because he's almost the complete opposite of Daryl Sutter? 
Yeah, you nailed it. You nailed it. This organization, it's funny, for years we've always called it the Goldilocks hire. They're always looking for that Goldilocks hire. They had a coach who was too hard in Bob Hartley. Then they had someone who was a little too soft in Glenn Gullitson. Then they went to someone a little too hard in Bill Peters. Then they went a little too soft in Jeff Ward. Now they went a little too hard with Daryl Sutter. And now this is a, another soft approach. Like They're looking for that guy who just fits right in the middle. And I don't know if he's that guy. I know that the players love him, but I think it's easy to love the assistant coach, right? Yeah. He's the good cop to the bad cop head coach. Um, it's going to be interesting because it's very hard for a guy to go from assistant to coach in the same dressing room. It really is. And it, around the National Hockey League, guys will tell you that because they now have to establish that they're not just playing second fiddle. They're the man in charge. So he's uh, well-respected, very well-spoken, very cerebral. He's put in his time at every level in the national or all over the hockey world and had success. And, um, you know, forget about the sentimental side and the fact that people in the organization are thrilled. He's the coach and, and players will probably be very happy with it. You know, this is a guy who, you know, I think deserves that chance. He's given all that he's done for this organization and others. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. Um, communication is his key. That's what he's all about. And Daryl Sutter had a very radical approach to communicating with players. This will be totally different, and I think it'll really help a lot of players who had off-seasons last year. A uh, quick one before we let you go here. Uh, talking about the coaching staff, Mark Savard uh, joins the team as an assistant what what role do you think Mark Savard plays in getting Jonathan Huberdeau back on track? Talk about a guy, you know, Mark Savard was a very, very good passer. You would say a great passer during his time in the NHL, much like Jonathan Huberdeau can be. Um, is that is that job number one and and 1A, 1B, 1C for Mark Savard? I think, I mean, getting the Flames offense going again in general is, is his number one job. But, of course, it goes without saying that you know, leading that charge needs to be Jonathan Huberdeau. And I agree with you. I think uh, Mark Savard was, at one point, late in his career, before he got injured, was maybe the best playmaker in the National Hockey League. He was certainly in the top three or five. And, uh, and, and Huberdeau, you know, set the NHL record for the most assists by a left winger in NHL history a couple of years ago. So they need to get him back. Savard's mantra is to add more creativity and take the leash off of all these, these forwards who uh, I guess the complaint was there was just too much structure under Daryl Sutter and they want th- these guys to be as creative as possible from the blue line in. So we'll see how Mark Savard goes about doing that, but his number one uh, pupil of course will be Jonathan Huberto. I guarantee they've already had many conversations since Savard has been hired. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, listen, Eric, thank you so much for taking some time for me today. Really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of today. Enjoy free agency tomorrow and uh, enjoy your summer. Greatly appreciate it as always, man. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, happy Canada Day to you and everybody. Cheers. Yeah, same to you. There he goes. Eric Francis from Sportsnet breaking down the Calgary Flames. Okay, when we come back, we're going to break down the Eastern Conference champions, the Florida Panthers. They've got some cap space to play with. We've heard about names like Eric Carlson and Noah Hannafin. Anthony Duclair, could he be on his way out? What are they going to do with a roster that could be returning a bunch of players that just went to the Stanley Cup final? George Richards from Florida Hockey Now when we come back. Matt Marchese in for Jeff Merrick on the Jeff Merrick Show. You are listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet Now and Sportsnet 360. Unrivaled insight, analysis, and opinions on all things Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
Welcome back. The final segment of the week, the Jeff Merrick show, Matt Marchese in for Jeff. What a week. Certainly wasn't in Nashville. Those guys had some fun. Joining us on the line right now, George Richards from Florida Hockey Now. And and George, I, I understand you're making your way to Ohio right now. So thank you very much for jumping on here. No, anytime. What's going on? Just enjoying just enjoying the smog in the city. That's all. You know, the, the forest fires yeah. have made uh, everything cloudy, and it's not because it's actual clouds. So it's uh it's quite the scene here right. in Toronto. Um listen, it was it was quite a scene throughout the playoffs. Uh, with the Florida Panthers, they they get to the cup final very unexpectedly. And when you look at the roster going into next year, I mean, they could, much like their counterparts in Vegas, could be returning a lot of the same players. Um, we've heard the name Eric Carlson linked to Florida, but, you know, they don't have a ton of draft capital. They do have some cap space. Do they have enough to go out and go big game hunting here? I don't know about Carlson for Florida. I mean, we'll see, obviously. I mean, it depends what happens with Brandon Montour, whether Florida gets him extended, how long he's going to be out with the tour labrum surgery. Um, you know, I mean, the Panthers have $10, $10, $11 million under the cap, but they do have some holes. Um, most of their big guys are signed, which is, uh, you know, something that Bill Zito had been working on the past couple years to, you know, extend Florida's window. They've got a lot of their guys that are committed for not just next year, but a couple years after that. So, you know, we'll see what he does here starting tomorrow and, or, you know, maybe pull something off today. Um, uh, Noah Hannafin's another guy that's been linked to the Panthers. Mm -hmm. um, And, and understandably so he's a really good player. And, I, I guess I guess the question is, did Florida learn something about playing against Vegas that maybe, you know, they have a good group of forwards, but they really need to round out the defense. Like, you know, Mark Stahl played a, a lot of minutes for this team and Radko Gudis was banged up and, and they didn't quite have the depth. They certainly didn't have the same depth as the Vegas Golden Knights did. Is that kind of where you lean right now and, and that they've learned something about having really good defensemen uh, really helps you along the way in the playoffs? Well, they would love to have had good defense. You know, they were stuck. I mean, they were in salary cap hell there for a bit. Um, you know, and they really couldn't do, they couldn't add anything at the deadline like Vegas did. Um, not that they didn't have the LTIR space because with Patrick Hornquist out, Florida had a little bit of cap room. They didn't have any draft capital to, to, to make any moves. So Florida wasn't able to add at the deadline, and you saw as they went through the playoffs and the injuries started to – to, to affect them, you saw Florida's depth problems in the Stanley Cup final. Um, I, you know, they would love to have had a deeper defensive core, but they knew coming into last season that that was their weakness. Um, if you remember last year, they signed Mark Stahl on July 1, and they still had Mackenzie Weger. Um, you know, you, you didn't expect Mark Stahl to play 82 games. I don't think that was ever in the plans. And then the Kachuk deal comes up, you know, 20 days later or whatever, and all of a sudden you've only got six defensemen because that's all you can carry. Now, when it came to the playoffs, you don't have to worry about that. But, but you know, 
Florida just didn't have the defensive depth this year. They're going to work on that. They're trying to get deeper. Um, but last year, it just wasn't in the cards for them. And thankfully, they picked up Josh Mahura off waivers because he ended up playing a right. lot of minutes for them. Um, I, I just As an aside here, because I want to get to Rago Gudis in a second, but you mentioned Patrick Hornquist in there. Um, he announced that he's retiring from the game. And I look at Patrick Hornquist as kind of the start of what the Florida Panthers ended up becoming because they wanted to add some nastiness. Yep. They wanted to add some grit. And, and Patrick Hornquist was kind of the first guy that they did that with. And then, you know, comes along the Matthew Kachucks and the Sam Bennett's and then, and then they round out and they've got Radko Gudis. And did that feel like that was kind of the catalyst for what ended up becoming what we now know as the Florida Panthers? Well, Jim Rutherford said that he, that, that Patrick Hornquist changed the culture of the Pittsburgh Penguins and Bill Zito's first move as general manager of the Florida Panthers was getting Patrick Hornquist, and he did exactly that for Florida. Um, he did change the culture with Florida. There was always something missing with the Panthers. We knew for years that they had talent, but there was just, you know, that something extra just wasn't there. And then you get Patrick Hornquist, and all of a sudden, you know, things kind of turn around for the Panthers, and uh, he was a gigantic part of that. Um, I wrote about it today, uh, yesterday, um, just like his first practice, guys are getting off the ice and Hornquist is like, where are you going? We're not done yet. Um, and that's how he was. I mean, guys just, he was a guy that followed, that, that the players followed. He was a, a verbal leader and a, you know, uh, you know, a leader that you would follow, you know, that you would just, you know, do what he did kind of thing. He led by example is what I'm trying to say. And, just a huge, gigantic move for the Panthers, and um, it was a big move at the time for, for Bill Zito in 2020 for the Panthers to trade Mike Matheson to Pitt and Colton Sevier to Pittsburgh for, for Hornquist. It certainly worked out for the Panthers. And and honestly, when you look at how they've been built now, like you said, they follow in the in the same mold of Patrick Hornquist, and they're a pain in the butt to play against, and, and as, as was Patrick Hornquist, so we wish them all the best. Um, Radko Gudis is a guy I wanted to get to here because he's an unrestricted free agent and he he became a guy in the playoffs. And we always know we always knew that Radko Gudis was was a nightmare to play against, but he really kind of found a home with the Panthers here. Do you anticipate that that's going to be one of the priorities for Florida is to get him back into the fold? Or do you think that he ends up testing free agency after after such a good playoff? Yeah, I think he's testing it, right? I mean, they're not testing it, but probably moving on. Um, you know, he's been talking to teams. They know what's being offered out there. I mean, they, you know, tomorrow at noon is the deal. Um, I would expect that he's going to get some term. He's going to get more money. And at 33 years old, he's got to take it, right? I mean, this is his last kick at it. Um, Florida can probably offer him, what, one year, two years, something like that. Um, I think the Panthers are kind of resigned to the fact that Radko Gudis will be leaving um, because he has to. He's 33. This is it. Um, if he gets, let, let's just say, four years from Detroit, I mean, he's got to go, right? So um, we'll see what happens. Bill Zito talked yesterday. He said that they're still in communication. Maybe something can happen. Um, but like Tampa Bay, as you get, you know, th as things move along, you lose good players. Players get paid. Um, and, and Radko Gudis really in, enhanced his stock these past three years with the Florida Panthers. From day one, Radko, you just talked about Patrick Hornquist, 
Radko Gudis in the same vein um, turned things around with the Panthers in 2021, and he obviously enhanced his status around the league during the playoffs because he was a bear to play against. Yeah, he was uh, he was a pain. Ask Toronto Maple Leafs fans what they thought of Radko Gudis and screaming yeah. in the face of Joseph Wall. Um, George Richards from Florida Hockey now joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. Anthony Duclair's name has been out there in trade, and you know, with one year left on his contract and coming off the Achilles injury, I, I thought he showed some flashes in the playoffs. Certainly not the offensive yeah. game that we thought we were. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to come back from an Achilles injury, and he took some extra time as well. Um, assuming a, a full off season, he'll he will be a lot better off in his recovery. But I don't anticipate the price is super high for them. But do you think there is an appetite to trade him right now with the one year left on his deal? And does it just come down? to he just makes three million dollars and that's not something that's not a luxury that they can afford right now yeah i think it's more of the luxury thing right the florida panthers obviously they love they love anthony declare i mean he's one of the more um uh, well-liked players not only in that locker room but in the south florida community um i i think you know if they can keep him they'd love to do so but as we talked about at the top this team really needs to get help defensively. They need the shore, you know, they need forward depth. You know, they've got injuries on the, on the blue line with, with, with Brandon Montour and Aaron Eckblad. So they really don't know when those guys are coming back. So you can't really LTIR them for too long, you know, cause you've got to absorb that money. So we'll have to see what happens with Anthony Declare. but you know, if, if, I would not be surprised if a deal is made with Calgary, that, that Anthony Declare is going back. Uh, one quick one before we let you continue on with your drive here. Um, Sergey Bobrovsky obviously had a really good playoff, tougher in the Stanley Cup final, yeah. and it doesn't feel like anybody was stopping that juggernaut in Vegas. How much of next year's success for Sergey Bobrovsky depends on how much we see Spencer Knight? Like, we we know the, the Panthers didn't love the idea of him playing too many games in a row. The playoffs maybe changed their tune on that a little bit, but how much of the success is Spencer Knight playing 35 or 40 games next year for Sergei Bobrovsky. I, I think it is. I mean, Sergei's not getting any younger, right? Just like all of us. Um, I, I think that, you know, you know we, we've seen it around the NHL. You need two goalies to, to kind of split things up. Sergei Bobrovsky, don't forget, came into the playoffs having about a month off. I mean, he was rested and ready to go when he finally got the call there at the end of game three against Boston in the first round because Alex Lyon had carried, you know, the load the final eight games of the season and then, the, you know, started the first three against the Bruins. So Sergei Bobrovsky didn't have to play 15 out of 16 down the stretch as he had not only in Florida, but remember in, in Columbus as well. Um, you know, he had to carry his teams into the playoffs in the past. And then there was some thought that, oh, well, maybe he's a little tired now that we're in the uh, first round of the postseason. He didn't have that problem in these playoffs, and you saw some pretty good results. So, yeah, I, I think that the Panthers would definitely like to split it up and, and not, you know, not 1A, 1B kind of thing, but, but, but maybe a little bit like that. The days of him playing 60, 65 games are long over. Yeah, that's the trend around the league now. Look what happened with Dallas and Jake Ottinger. He looked tired by the time the, yeah, the, sec the exactly. second, third round of the playoffs rolled around. Uh, George, thank you so much for taking some time for me today. Really appreciate it. Safe drive and, uh, and enjoy the summer, and we'll talk soon. All right, sounds good. Thank you. There he goes, George Richards from Florida Hockey Now. Well, that's it.
we get to wrap up a week here. Um, just to recap what we what we did have today news-wise, Matt Duchesne, the big news of the day, bought out by the Nashville Predators. Uh, Blake Wheeler also bought out by the Winnipeg Jets. Kyler Yamamoto bought out by the Detroit Red Wings. And Mike Riley, uh, very much what we anticipated from the Boston Bruins as they try and free up some cap space, uh, will also be bought out. It's been a great week. A very great week. Thanks to everyone that joined us on the program here. A big thank you to Elliot Friedman. Today was his last appearance on the show until next season. So a big thank you to Elliot uh, as he's always uh, been great on this show. Uh, Jason Bukla live from the airport in Nashville. Great breakdown of the uh, of the draft. Jeff Merrick, the host of this show, who will be back on Monday. Thank you very much. Eric Francis from Sportsnet. And you just heard George Richards from Florida Hockey. Now, a very big thank you to everyone that listened this week. A big thank you to Lance Kennedy, to David Sis, who did a great job producing the show. I know I'm not the easiest to deal with, so thank you very much. Uh, Jen Rolnick, who is in all week, and Frank Baraska in operating the cameras today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Everyone, enjoy your long weekend. Enjoy Canada Day. Enjoy Free Agency Day tomorrow, starting at 11.30 a.m. Eastern on Sportsnet. And thanks again for listening. Matt Marchese here. Have a great weekend.